And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. You know, over the last four years of recording this podcast, I've learned a couple things. And one of them is that anything involving how startups fund, grow, or accelerate their access to capital is a very, very popular topic here on the show. And that's exactly what we're going to get into today. We're going to talk a lot about revenue-based financing. So what is that? How does it work? And how do you go about getting it? Now, before we get too far into that, I want to give everyone a quick reminder that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Gusto. Gusto has modern solutions for modern HR problems. Whether it's talent management, payroll, or onboarding tools, Gusto's HR platform has it all for you. Be smarter than your competitors and and try a three-month free prescription, prescription, subscription. You might be able to get a prescription. I don't think they cover that though. You can just sign up at gusto.com forward slash startup hustle to get started. Once again, gusto.com forward slash startup hustle. There's a link for that in the show notes, as well as a link to today's guests companies. With me today, I've got Asher Ismail, who's the co-founder of Uncapped. And this is a fintech and e-commerce company that specializes in revenue-based financing straight out of London, England, and God save the queen. Asher, welcome to Startup Hustle. Hey, thanks so much for having me here. Looking forward to the conversation. I am too. And, you know, I'm glad I got my God save the queen in there because I know that's important to people. And, and that's what you say in, in England, right? Is, or am I wrong about that? <laughs> All the time, every day. That's right. Yeah. And, and, and every time I speak to someone in, in, in your section of the world, I always throw that in and many seem surprised that I even seem to know that there is a queen. Anyway, uh, thanks for joining me. I, I like to start my episodes with a little bit of backstory about you and your company. So let's dive right in. Sure thing. So, you know, I'm one of the founders of Uncapped. And what we're really passionate about is that founders shouldn't have to give away equity in order to fund their growth. So we provide fast, flexible funding to online businesses for marketing, inventory, or hiring without personal guarantees or dilution. Uh, you know, my background is in startups. This is the you know, third business that I've started over the years. And you know, the biggest problem I always had was getting the funding that I needed. And you know, working with hundreds of other founders, you know, I've seen how they've struggled too. So for me, it's a dream to get to work on Uncapped. Every day I get to help other entrepreneurs get the funding they need. And, you know, my, our first customers were also my friends. So from the start, we really tried to create something that is really fast and fair and friendly and, you know, what you'd want to give to a mate. Uh, we're now in 22 countries, including the U.S., U.K., Germany, Poland, Spain. Um, our business has been growing exponentially. So we're deploying, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to founders. And we actually now fund more businesses in a day than the typical VC will fund in a year. 
So when it comes to RBF, revenue-based funding or financing, some people use funding in, in, in lieu of financing. We've talked about this before on the show. Um, what, why don't we just, let's, let's get a quick description of what that is and why it's a little bit different from like the typical like VC investment that's either equity-based or attached to a convertible note or, yeah, I mean, there's 10 million other ways to do it. So why is RBF different? Oh, and by the way, you can go to weareuncapped.com to go check out Ishmael's business. So there you go. All right. RBF. Yeah. Well, I mean, RBF and Uncapped is, you know, a new way for founders to fund their growth. And how it works is that we provide equity and interest-free investments. that Start from 10K up to 5 million. And we charge a flat 6% fee on the capital that we provide. Businesses only repay the capital as they make revenue. So there's no set repayment date, no compounding interest, equity, or personal guarantees. Uh, my favorite is that there's also no pitching or business plans or coffees uh, required, which means you can really get back to growing your company. Um, maybe just give you an example of you know, how it would work. Uh, say you had a business and you wanted 100K to spend on marketing. We would take back a fixed portion of your daily revenue that might be, say, like 5%. So we got 106K back. So we don't take any equity or personal guarantees or warrants or other hidden fees. You're just paying that 6% flat fee. And you know, critically, because the repayments, they're tied to your revenue. If your business slows down, you know, as a founder, you're not cut out. Those repayments just also slow down. So we believe it's the most affordable, flexible type of financing available to growth companies. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think one of the things that, uh, as I mentioned, when we started the show, um, you know, any type of, of startup is always seen, you know, always interested in, in how can I fund this thing? And it's such a popular topic, not only on air, but off air. I find that um, anytime I go somewhere, people always want to talk about the podcast, which is a different subject, because I'd rather be known as the full scale guy, by the way, than the startup hustle guy. But I end up I end up having these discussions and they invariably lead into, well, I need capital and resources. And how do I get it? Now, a lot of people get uh, I would imagine a lot of your users are still companies that are venture backed. But our, one of the things that I find that a lot of my peers, guests, and other people have used RBF for is kind of like being in between rounds as well. Because if you're trying to raise a full round, um, you know, the thing that sucks about that in episode two of all Startup Hustle episodes, so literally it is titled Getting Funded Sucks. And like literally that was the first topic we felt we should address after the first episode where we just talked about what we we're going to do on the show. So like, clearly that was a common issue and a common problem, but you know, so I find that a lot of people are, are addressing RBF or funding with revenue-based financing that way. What are some other ways or other like situations where this offer is so, you know, that whole act of getting funded, it's like a full-time job. It's it's and it's soul sucking. Like you mentioned, you don't get to focus on on running or growing your business. What are some of the other use cases or benefit scenarios where people are really leveraging what you guys do to get get shit done faster? <laughs> yeah, well, on your first point, though, I can really agree with you that you know fundraising sucks, and you know, in fact, even uncapped, it was born out of my own frustrations I faced when I was like launching and running my first businesses. Like I did my first one in 03. 
and I was young and I was just trying to raise a hundred K and I probably had a hundred meetings and got a hundred no's. And, yeah. you know, I didn't want to take financing from the banks cause they all wanted personal guarantees and venture capital, you know, it wasn't ideal either cause I didn't have that track record or connections or those warm introductions. And so I just kept missing out on growth opportunities. So I can definitely relate to your first point there. Um, we also in our world, we definitely see lots of folks who you know, want that capital to bridge them between rounds. Because as you say, one of the big challenges is the time that it takes, right? It's a, it's absolutely is a massive investment. Even if you have an incredible business, you know, the typical funding round, it's going to take months to close and it's going to be a big draw on your team and yourself and, you know, your, uh, you know, your ability as a founder to otherwise execute. But I think the most common way I would say people use the capital that we have it uncapped is really to accelerate their growth. You know, um, if you're a business and you have found a product idea where you have product market fit and you know if you take, you know, one pound, say you put it into, into Facebook and you get three pounds back, uh, you know, that is a business where you want more fuel for the fire. And what we're able to do at Uncapped is help those founders access that capital incredibly quickly to really be able to scale their business and take advantage of that growth opportunity. So you mentioned the pound. We're discussing the British pound there as opposed to the U.S. dollar or the euro or any of that. So with that, um, do you actually work with, does Uncapped work with companies on a worldwide basis? Yeah, so I should say we're, you know, we're actually in 22 <laughs> countries. Um, and, right, uh, right, and, uh, right. US you did mention that. You did a mention big market that, yeah. for us. So, uh, so yeah, dollars uh, is uh, you know definitely a big part of what we do. I felt like uh, I, I found myself there. I was like, wow, I can actually remember a reference where someone had referred to anything in, in pounds. I do, uh, having a bunch of employees in the Philippines, I deal with the Filipino peso a lot. And um, you know, do, you, <laughs> do you find that, are there levels of complexity that come with operating in that many countries? Uh, absolutely. I think, you know, international is definitely one of the most challenging things. Uh, that, uh, that you can take on uh, as, as, you, as a way to grow your business. Um, but one of the interesting things we found is, you know, the type of founders often that we're funding, people who are running online businesses or e-commerce businesses, they often have uh, so much similarity between them across markets. Because often when you're running uh, an e-commerce business, from day one, you're thinking up about being international. And some, sometimes you'll find, you know, businesses... Um, in that space in two different countries might have more in common than, you know, two businesses in the same country who are just working on totally different products. So, you know, we've really played that to our advantage. Um, one of the ways that we do that is because, you know, when we assess companies, it's not that like typical approach where you would maybe go to a bank and you present this business plan with a bunch of numbers that you probably, you know, don't necessarily believe in yourself as you try to convince the, you know, the manager or, you know, we're not asking you to go to a bunch of meetings with VCs and um, try to, you know, pour your heart out about you know, your business. We're actually connecting to the data that you use to run your business every day. And a beautiful thing, of course, is that the platforms and systems that online businesses run on have a lot of similarity across a lot of countries. And uh, that means that we can serve those businesses in a unique and special way, but also be able to be in more countries uh, probably a lot of other businesses at our stage. So with, with that somewhat algorithmic approach, what are some of the things that 
uh, that really qualify a company and what are some things that don't? Well, you know, what we'd say is that Uncapped is great for you if you're generating sales online for at least six months and you're doing at least 10K of revenue per month. So I think those are our, those are our core criteria. Um, and, you know, we've seen the model work for like a variety of companies, both bootstrapped or venture capital backed. And, you know, it's really those businesses that are at a stage where they found something that's working and they really want to scale. So you mentioned like uh, you've you used the term e-commerce a couple different times and an e-commerce company is, is, well, at least by my definitions, usually a lot different from a quote tech company. Um, so like e-commerce, are you working mainly with companies that sell products? Uh, so we definitely have lots of companies who are what you'd think is like, hey, a traditional e-commerce business where they have, you know, inventory and they have a product that they're shipping out to customers. Uh, but we've also worked with lots of other really cool online businesses that perhaps maybe have a subscription model or doing something in the SaaS space, um, you know, and we're open to, you know, other models. But I think that key thing is that they're doing things online and, you know, that allows us to understand them in a really special way and, uh, and serve them. Yeah. For those of you listening, to give you a little perspective, and I wrote about this in my book, Million Dollar Bedroom. um, I've talked to so many people that are like, hey, I got a new business. I'm like, cool. How are you going to get it started? They're like, I'm going to go get a loan from a bank. And I'm like, no, you're not, because banks don't give loans to new businesses. They also don't typically give them to businesses that are six months old. Um, At least here in the U.S., there's like a magic uh, a line around two years, like they want to see you in business for two years. Now, I like to compare a lot of the plight and struggle with my own scenario. So at full scale, we had a hundred employees after one year and a ton of revenue. And we went to go look at creating some basic banking relationships and they were all like, no, you're not two years old. And, or they didn't know how to look at us because most businesses don't have a hundred employees after a year. So they were really, they, and you know, that I, 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 if you're a regular listener, you know that I am frustrated, if not just flat out tired of banking's general inability to deal with the needs of startups. Now they all want us to open accounts at their banks but none of them seem to be suited to take on the needs of like a software company. Cause I give you some examples, like with a software company, you've got code and a server and subscribers and banks want, they're more likely to give a loan to a, a halfway failing company that has a truckload of bolts, like literally screws and bolts that they can say, Oh, here's something tangible that will, that will take if you don't pay us back and it's, and you know, it's like, it's, I don't know, it's a weird thing. And I mean, is that part or is that some of the, I got to imagine that's some of the reason and even from your personal experience, why you're like, Hey, there's gotta, we got to do something different. Yeah. And that's absolutely why we exist. I I think the other, you know, common situation you see with, you know, high growth businesses is that they're actually reinvesting every dollar that they make into marketing or inventory or, you know, just, growing their company because they have something that is working and they, you know, want to utilize those funds. But of course, banks see that as a red flag. And, you know, the, the other challenge of course, is that typically a bank loan, even if you are past that to your mark and you do happen to fit that profile, they'll typically also want a personal guarantee. Yep. 
And, you know, yep. which means to fund your baby, you have to put up your house. And yeah. you know, so many entrepreneurs, especially these days, they don't own a house. And, you know, they just don't come from necessarily a background that affords them to have the assets to be able to put up to support their startup. And so therefore, as an entrepreneur, you're left really usually with options that force you to give away equity. And, you know, what we're trying to do is say, hey, actually, maybe there's an alternative to that. Maybe there's a smarter way that we can understand these businesses and actually get them the capital to grow. Yeah. And, the, and so with revenue-based financing, like you mentioned, you're going to, they're going to take a percentage of your revenue until it's paid back. And it's similar to a loan. Now, the faster you grow, it's obviously in the, in the lender's benefit for your business to grow faster because you recoup your funds faster and probably come back for more. And, you know, I mentioned it's like some of the, the funding issues. I'm not going to say who or what company, but within the last few months, I had a, a personal conversation with a founder that had exited his company and was telling me that literally with a three digit million exit value that they were still not bankable at the end because they didn't look like a profitable company, but yet they were worth a multitude of millions to someone else. And like, think about how flawed that is people like, you know, and, and it really, I, I get, uh, I do get kind of salty with bank people cause they, I run into them and, you know, they really do. They want to chase you down. They want to know me cause they think I'm going to tell everyone to come open an account at their bank. And I, and I'll tell them and they like kind of look at me crooked afterward. I'm like, until you figure out how to do business with startups, I'm not telling anyone to any startups to do business with you. And they're like, well, what do you mean? We're set up to do all this. But like I, like you said, so you look at, they want something tangible. Um, in my case, we, we, uh, when we were funding full scale, we ended up funding full scale, not with RBF, but instead we just created our own venture debt and paid the returns to our own friends. You know, like, and we raised 750 grand in two weeks. We had that many believers, but a bank wouldn't give us a loan without exactly, you're right. They wanted us to sign over our homes as collateral. And one bank wanted a $7.5 million asset to give a $750,000 loan. And I replied literally by saying, and I'm going to clean this up a little bit. But if I had that much effing money in my account right now, I wouldn't be asking you for a loan for 10% of the amount. That's struggles a really real, incredible man. moment. Yeah. Struggles real. Like, I mean, and I was mad because I felt like that company had wasted my time. That bank had wasted my time. Like, you, tell me that before you put me through the dog and pony show that is your loan process. Now, if you want to stay away from dog and pony shows, I'll tell you that managing your team can be as easy as one, two, three with gusto. No more late nights for processing payroll or dealing with business tax filings. No more painful spreadsheets for attendance tracking. Say hello to the new smart HR platform. You can check it out at gusto.com forward slash startup hustle to get a free three month subscription and make sure you use that. There's a link in the show notes because they really will give you three months for free. And, you know, why not give it a shot? I like things that work and Gusto works. So anyway, back to what we're talking about. As you can, you didn't realize you were getting such an advocate for revenue-based funding and financing when you, when you logged on to record this, did you? I didn't, but I really appreciate it. I mean, though, every founder I seem to talk to 
they're starting to wake up this realization that, you know, the old models that we had of funding, that they are really broken, right? And it's sort of like, because, um, you know, we had a hammer, every problem is a nail and that, you know, so therefore the only solution we were using was equity. And uh, yeah, now as I speak to more and more founders, they're starting to consider this like wider range of options. And, uh, you know, I honestly believe that revenue-based financing is going to be the way that you know, every startup first thinks about, hey, how do I get that growth? Um, so, so yeah, it's really refreshing to hear from you too. Well, well, dude, hanging on to your equity is important because, you know, one, one common question is why, okay, we would, I mean, we had a ton of people that would have invested in us, but given the fact that we were a year old, I mean, selling equity at that point for a rocket ship that's already headed to the moon um, didn't make sense for us. So part of the reason that you utilize things like we are uncapped and revenue-based financing is because the equity is going to be worth so much more than the amount you would have taken in for it. So you use, and, and, you know, I, I just literally recorded a, a similar uh, episode. Uh, so my, my business partner at full scale and a very successful software founder and my co-host Matt Watson and I have been recording a 52 part series about how to start a tech company. And we addressed alternate types of funding. And this was one of them because, and Matt's used it at Stackify, which was acquired a little less than a year ago. And the equity that he retained sold for a hell of a lot more than it would have if he didn't use RBF. And he, you know, and, and, and it was fast. That was the main thing. It was like, hey, I want it because what's the value of your time? What's the value of your focus? And if you haven't gone out and tried to raise capital before, you really don't know what you're into. You mentioned like going to 100 companies and hearing no. How much time did that take, Asher? Months, you know, months and months of my life that I'm never going to get back. And also more right. importantly, all that time being out, you know, trying to speak to investors and convince them was time that I wasn't spending with my customers and my Finding users, and my building product. a team. Yeah. Doing anything. Yeah. Other than and walking around. And it feels like you were going in with your hat in your hand, like almost like, uh, what is it, Oliver Twist? Please, sir, can I have some more gruel? You know, and it's, it's a... It, founders and entrepreneurs are are a species that is confident and king of the king or queen of the jungleish, and you you feel the opposite walking out of those things. It's also about what happens after. I mean, you know, I thought when I finally did raise that money for my business that I had it figured out because you know suddenly I had millions of venture capital money in my pocket, but then I also realized, wow, I just got terribly diluted. And it just started to make me realize it's kind of depressing almost, right? To think I can work so hard and now own so little of my company. Yep. And, you know, I think the stat is that, you know, the typical founder at Exit, they'll likely own less than 15% of their business. Because, you know, just equity is fundamentally the most expensive way to fund a company's growth. And yeah, it takes a long time. And it can also sometimes mean that the founder ends up losing control of their company. That's the main thing for me, man. And, you know, like... I don't always work well with people, mainly people telling me what to do. And, you know, that's just an admission of guilt on, and it's, and it's not my greatest quality, but I mean, part of why I haven't sold equity, Matt and I own the company 50, 50, and I like it like that, you know, and if I had a, a third partner or an investor or something, realistically, I could be out, I could, and I'm going to have to create a board. I'm going to have to do a lot of things. I could get fired from my own company. And then, 
I do things differently than a lot of folks. And I hate having to explain and justify why I want to take some wild approaches at things because a lot of people, a lot of investors and partners and stuff like that, they're like, no, we need you to stay in the lane the whole time. I'm like, but the lane is boring. You got to do things to stand out and different stuff. And it doesn't always compute. And, 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 you know, there's a lot more to raising capital than just the act of going out and getting it. Cause depending on where you're at, like you said, you could lose control of your company. You can um, also, you know, there's a, a lot of it, this whole landscape and the way that all this stuff is set up and all of it, I mean, it's honestly, it's took me years to feel really comfortable in the room in the conversation and grasping what I could or might be getting myself into. And there's a lot of ways that equity based funding and just all the notes and all that stuff set up that if things don't go the way you think they should or could, you are creating some major obstacles for yourself down the road. Yeah, and Tom, I think you're not alone. I think so many founders, they are really focused on the idea that they want to keep control and, you know, asking them to pledge their assets or give up that board seat. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of fear in that because if you think about it, investors and maybe a typical VC, gosh, they do this every day, right? So they totally understand those documents inside and out. As a founder, you know, how many times are you going to raise capital like that? How many of those type of deals are you going to do in your life? Maybe a handful at most if you're a really successful founder. And so there's just so many areas where you can get caught out. And so obviously it's really important to have good advisors around you and you know, good lawyers if you're going down that route. But sometimes it's also nice to be able to be- Which by the way is expensive capital. too. Which is <laughs> yeah, expensive too. You mentioned taking six a 6%, which is- nothing by the way <clears throat> but you know if you're looking at at some of these smaller rounds you're going to have more than that in legal yeah absolutely i'm always actually surprised at the way the legal fees work sometimes in doing those deals because actually typically in a in an investment deal the investors will actually ask you to pay their legal fees yeah so you're like wait wait a minute yeah. how does that work exactly <laughs> But, you know, it's just a truth of this system, right? That, that's kind of just existed as that's the way it is. And, uh, you know, everybody has just kind of gotten gotten to that being the, being the truth. But, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's time to challenge that. And, uh, yeah, you know, in, 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 in 2020, I received a million dollar investment offer for full scale, one that I wasn't out looking for. It kind of found us and, and went through a whole bunch of stuff. I was like, sure, we'll explore it. And then finally, when I got the term sheet, it included a uh, $100,000 a year, quote, management fee. Yeah, you heard that, that, that uncomfortable silence there? That was followed by the email that I wrote that was basically like, thanks for wasting my effing time. Like, that, I mean, that, because you, there's, that you might as well just call it interest or something else, but like I would have been beholden to that investment forever. Like, I mean, even one year in, I mean, that's regardless, there's a cost of doing business. And I was like, wow. So yeah. Anyway, I quit trying to raise capital at that point. We just wrote our own checks, but, but some of that, and you know, you talk about the found the plight of the founder 
And, you know, you get past the X's and O's that are in the playbook of entrepreneurship and you have real life. And like, I have a wife and two kids and my wife is incredibly understanding of all things that I do. The only thing I've told she's ever asked me to do is she's like, just please don't lose the house. Don't put us in a position where we would or could lose the house. And that's never been the case, but that's a good, like, I, and I'm just not doing that. Like, but that's the kind of shit that you normally run into. So <clears throat> anyway, revenue based financing. All right. So, you know, there's, I, I'd like to talk a little bit about some of the unique problems that e-commerce businesses face. And if you're interested in e-commerce businesses or sales on Amazon, make sure you check out our, my co-host, Andrew Morgan's because he is our e-commerce and Amazon expert. He does a weekly show. He's the founder of Marknology. Go to marknology.com. They help people sell more stuff on Amazon. And one of the problems that comes with selling more stuff is you've got to buy, build, or market more stuff. And that's where, like, that's one of the problems that uh, a lot of products companies have. And before I was in software, I actually worked in the musical instrument world. And, you know, all, you know, like you, you don't always get paid. You got to build it before you get paid. And sometimes you sell it and still don't get paid for several months. And it leaves a funding gap that creates growth problems. And I would imagine that's probably one of the biggest reasons that many of people are going to weareuncapped.com and getting, getting a loan. I would say, you know, e-commerce founders have definitely a unique set of financial challenges. One, as you just mentioned, is that typically if you're trying to build an e-commerce business, you have real um, upfront challenges in working capital because your suppliers often have very difficult terms. And that makes it hard to get your e-commerce business started. But then the second part of it is often in e-commerce, there's a lot of seasonality. So there's a period of up, there's a period of down. And, you know, managing through that seasonality is like critically on everyone's mind, um, especially, you know, when it gets, you know, we just came through the holiday season. So being able to, you know, be stocked up with the inventory to take advantage of that big uh, golden quarter uh, of sales is, you know, a, a potentially a missed opportunity, especially in the current climate that we have where, you know, our global shipping is probably more challenged than it has ever been. And we're kind of almost at a breaking point there. And founders need to start thinking about, hey, how do they you know, maybe stockpile a little bit more than they used to and get the get that inventory that they need to really take advantage and, and also just even to meet their customers' requirements and needs. Um, but one of the beautiful things about e-commerce, of course, is that when you get that flywheel turning, actually you can have an e-commerce business grow incredibly fast because, you know, uh, you're able to actually sometimes run a multi-million e-commerce business. And we see this with our clients all the time. They're like doing millions of sales a month. And often they have like five people that are working on their team. And, you know, they're doing that because of, you know, what's the beautiful aspect of this a model that can actually just work with that incredible scale and also, you know, serve people internationally. Well, there's a ton of, I, I was reading an article in the fourth, some, at some point in the fourth quarter in the Wall Street Journal about how many uh, people that, how many businesses that sell things um, are we're going to basically miss out on the holiday season because of supply chain problems. Like they didn't get, 
a chip or a part or a piece or it was delayed or something. And, you know, there was even a, a dedicated like 20 minute piece on 60 minutes here in the U S about, about the, uh, the, the multitude of cargo ships that were just lined up and parked waiting to dock in port in LA. And, you know, so, which means, well, first off, a lot of people missed that golden period you were mentioning, which means they're going to have to come back. They're going to have to order sooner or figure something out. They're either overstocked or need to make sure they're stocked. There's a lot of opportunity costs in missing that. Did you, did you find that that was problematic for people as like, was it as problematic as the, as it, as it has been hyped to have been? It's a story that honestly I've heard again and again, where, you know, founders are kind of just sometimes on their knees because they have a shipment that is sitting on the ocean somewhere that they need to get out <laughs> to their customers. Um, you know, one, one of our, our first customers was a sustainable fashion brand called Hedwin. And they had this challenge where, you know, like so many brands that are working in fashion, they always had to juggle their cash between like inventory and marketing. And they basically would have to always wait for, you know, the current season to sell before they could invest the returns to the next one. And that just kind of limited their growth. They also ended up in the same situation this last period where one of those shipments was missing. And, you know, you can imagine that can just have this huge knock-on effect on a business like that. Um, you know, I think what's, what's cool about, you know, been, been working with them and helping them scale is actually helping them now get, you know, larger orders out. And beautifully, because you know, we charge that 6% fee, of course, but they were able to actually negotiate a bigger discount from their suppliers by actually ordering a larger amount and, you know, more than offset the fees. And so things like that, I think are amazing, creating like a really beautiful like win where the founder wins and, and we win. And, you know, also, hey, those customers are actually now able to get the products they probably otherwise would miss out on in the future. So, um, yeah, trying to make more of those stories happen. Yeah, being able to lever up your your buying ability can be big. And you know, the I'll give you an example. So my book, Million Dollar Bedroom, um, if I were to print a thousand of them, they'd be like four dollars and fifty cents a copy. If I if I print five thousand of them, they're like a dollar. <laughs> so it's like literally only a thousand dollars more to get three thousand or three or four thousand more copies, and it's a no brainer. But you got to have the money to to do it. Now that I, I did, but I talked to a lot of people that are in that spot, you know, and they get, you get stuck behind it. These micro orders, these micro orders, and then you're also running into things like Amazon. At one point during the pandemic, was even throttling the amount of stuff you could send. Um, so you might only be able to send them eight units at a time, and they sell really quickly. And then you got to wait to get eight more in, and then maybe they'll let you send ten. And you're like, God. You know, so there's a lot of like I, the supply chain's really nasty right now. It's a uh, it's a it's a very interesting scenario, and I think people didn't you know consumers worldwide are are finally now attuned to how delicate it, it is. Um, you know, I think we got really spoiled in just assuming that everything was always going to be there and available until it wasn't. Yeah, and I think you know COVID had another impact, of course, right because. It also meant that for so many founders, you know, they were concerned that their sales might slow, right? And had to kind of rethink their planning and forecasting in that way. And, you know, I guess for us, one of the things we've been able to do, revenue-based finance, one of the beautiful things, of course, is that we don't have fixed repayments. 
So, you know, if, if your business like did slow down, um, you don't have to worry because uh, the repayments actually just become smaller with the revenue. You've seen how that's also helped, you know, businesses just have a bit more confidence to go out and like make, you know, make a larger purchase or to, to put more um, into the growth of their company that maybe they otherwise wouldn't. Once again, with me today, I've got Asher Ismail, who's the co-founder of Uncapped. Go to weareuncapped.com. I like what you're doing. I really do. I'm a big fan of anything that puts capital in front of founders. Now, speaking of capital, and I didn't mention this earlier, you guys have raised over $100 million of it. So um, it we'll say that you know a couple of things about that and, and congrats on that. Now, it's time for the Founders Freestyle. And that's how I like to end my shows. I say my shows as a quick reminder, I'm not the only host to start a puzzle now. Make sure you tune in once a week and join Lauren Conaway. Lauren is the founder of Innovate Her. Go to innovateherkc.com, learn more about what she does. And also tune in for a weekly episode with Andrew Morgans, who talks all about e-commerce and Amazon stuff. If you haven't had enough of me and the other hosts of Startup Hustle, then check out the weekly episode I do with my business partner and Startup Hustle co-founder, Matt Watson. We are in the midst of trying to wrap up our 52-part series about how to start a tech company in true realistic fashion. We were supposed to have our series about how to start a tech company done last year, and we're about two and a half months behind, which feels really par for the course for most startups. So we actually feel like we're ahead of the curve by only being a couple months behind. So, all right. So with the Founders Freestyle, I'd like to give my guests an opportunity to say anything that they might have wanted to mention during the show that we didn't. And also like what from our conversation stood out for you today? Yeah, well, maybe I'd summarize by saying, you know, fundraising, you know, is a tough and evolving process. And, you know, as an early stage online or like e-commerce founder, you need a lot of, you need bravery and agility and grit, as well as like the right information to to navigate that fundraising fundraising process. So, you know, I think we're in this unprecedented time of interest in like commerce. Um, And so, you know, I think if you are a business that could use more fuel for the fire, strike while the iron was hot. And, you know, uh, as we've discussed, you know, I think one of the key points, of course, is that equity is the most expensive way to fund a company's growth. Um, it takes a long time to raise and can mean founders end up you know, losing control of their business. So, you know, our main message is that founders have more options than they ever did before. And we'd really encourage them to, to check them out. Um, potentially, maybe we can also help on the journey. And, you know, also, we, we'd love to be there. So, Get in touch if we can help. Yeah, once again, learn more about what Asher is doing at his company when you go to weareuncapped.com. There's a link for that in the show notes. Uh, for those of you that that are still listening, you've probably felt my passion, frustration, and uh, and kind of being tired of the way that businesses have and continue to be funded. Because um, honestly, I am over it. I'm tired of. I'm tired of. Of, of banks wanting us to adapt to the way that 
we do business. And, um, you know, if you listen to the show regularly, you know, I'm, I'm not really out. I'm not trying to make friends with bankers through the show unless they want to do something about changing it. So do something about it. Banks like you want our business and this is the way of the future. You need to learn how to change the way you're doing stuff, not us the other way around. So remember as a biz, as an owner of a rapidly growing business, that's putting a lot of money in and into banks, you're the one with the lever, not them. They want your account. It's not the other way around. There is a, a whole lot of banks out there and they all want your business. Just go out and call them and see who's going to work with you a little bit if you need it. Now, I'm not saying don't use things like revenue-based financing because even if you do find a bank that wants your business and is willing to do stuff with you, it's still like a long ass road to get the funding. So it's probably, and you know, another thing that stood out is you're, you're uh, 6%. It's not, it's not a whole lot. That's affordable. It's not like you're not, you're not holding people hostage there. So, I mean, there's a lot, you know, it's check it out. And I, I think that <clears throat> so many people are frustrated with just funding in general. And I always ask them when they mention that, I'm like, how many different things did you explore? There's a, this is, we are in a whole new world. Everything from like cr- uh, equity-based crowdfunding is now a real thing. That wasn't when I started being an entrepreneur, it wasn't even legal. And, you know, the, the world is catching up to, you know, finding better ways to get qualified entrepreneurs, founders, and companies into the resources they need. Make sure you check that out. If you also, if you have a little extra time, come join us in the Startup Hustle Facebook chat group. We've got thousands of people in there. We publish bonus content. If you haven't had enough, go check out Startup Hustle TV on YouTube. A lot of great stuff going on there as well. Asher, I'm going to catch up with you next time. Thanks a lot. Great to be. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.